Podcastle, episode 307, for April 16th, 2014. Out of the Deep Have I Howled Unto Thee, by Scott M. Roberts, rated R. Hello, and welcome to Podcastle. I'm Anna Schwind, your host and co-editor. I have a story for you today. It's a new story. New things are good, right? Shed the old skin, get a new skin, turn over a new leaf, get a fresh start. Sometimes at Podcastle, we like to match things up with the calendar. Around Christmas, we occasionally indulge in seasonally appropriate storytelling We love to give the month of October a spooky tale. Or four. We ran a Dia de los Muertos story in early November one time, remember? I think we may have even run a Valentine's story before. But I don't think we've ever done this particular holiday upright. So this Sunday is Easter. And for Easter, I'm giving you the most appropriate of gifts. Can you guess? Yes, it's a werewolf. You love it, right? Lycanthropy is exactly what Easter is about, and you were just waiting for me to figure that out. That whole ravenous animal nature slots into a movable feast, which occurs the closest full moon after the equinox, so neatly and perfectly. Bring on the howling, insatiable gluttony and let it rule the night. But dawn will follow. It always does. And what happens to the werewolf at daybreak? Today's story is Out of the Deep Have I Howled Unto Thee by Scott M. Roberts. Scott M. Roberts writes science fiction fantasy, and horror. His work has appeared in Writers of the Future, Orson Scott Card's Intergalactic Medicine Show, and Pseudopod. His previous appearance on Podcastle was episode 258, The Discriminating Monster's Guide to the Perils of Princess Snatching, which I also introduced? That's a little weird. I've introed like five episodes ever, and two of them are by Scott M. Roberts. Anyway, Scott lives in northern Virginia with his family and a motley troop of wizards, detectives, and crazy persons. He is an assistant editor for Orson Scott Card's Intergalactic Medicine Show, and his website is www.lordofallfools.com. So, when I read this story in our editorial consideration folder, and I realized it was an Easter story about werewolves... I knew there could only be one match for the job. Only one voice in the vast escape artist narrative pantheon says, Easter werewolf. And that's none other than my glorious co-editor, Dave. Dave is much beloved and has read more stories for us than I can tell you about here. And if I'd just stop talking now, he'd read this one as well. So I will. Get ready. 
it is time to run with the pack. Out of the deep have I howled unto thee by Scott M. Roberts. The small things, that's what Clark concentrated on. Never mind the wolf scratching at the insides of his hands. Never mind the sound of its breath in his throat. The desire to hang his tongue out and let it loll. Never mind the way the full moon tugged at his skin. External things. Things beyond the wolf's reach. The motorcycle, his tools. The way the transmission rested in his hands. That was what he focused on. That was how he fought the wolf. The devil was in the details, but the wolf, thank God, was not. And maybe tonight, the devil wasn't in the details either. Tonight, God was in the details. God in the chrome. God in the gears. God in the grease and bolts and bits of everything that he touched. Thinking about touching, about his fingers, his skin, the stripe of grease that was somehow on his lips. That was a pathway to the wolf. Clark's tongue itched to stretch out of his throat, to lick the grease. Back to the details. He'd been remodeling the sports scout for a good three weeks, but it saved the most delicate work for this full moon night. For God and the wolf. There was salvation in the motorcycle, in the flagrant fenders, and the low-slung chassis screw his mind into the motorcycle, and for the first time in years, he'd have a full moon night free of the wolf. The wolf growled in his lungs, and Clark felt a bit of frustration pass over his lips. Fifteen minutes to dawn, his fingers trembled as he worked the transmission into place. And then, he was done. Too soon, he realized, and so the wolf realized it too, and he could feel it stretching within him, its claws scraping the skin beneath his fingernails. Clark hunted for something to tighten, something to adjust, some bit of grease to wipe away. His fingers tumbled along the skin of the motorcycle while his eyes hunted the corners of the garage. Something to catch his mind, something to distract him. There were the shadows scattered throughout the garage, the gleam of his tools in the overhead brights, and the red of his toolbox, red as blood, as red as a predator's tongue. The wolf scrambled in his throat. His prayer came out guttural. De profundis, Clark thought. Out of the deep have I howled unto thee, O Lord. Heavenly Father, Clark gasped. No words, yelps and growls and whines. Clark stumbled back to the motorcycle. He'd tear it apart, this man's thing, this thing that had caught him and bound him all night long. He'd tear apart this whole place so the man would never be able to trap him again. He'd piss on everything, and the man would be afraid before the sun rose, before he slept again. Out, Clark said, but the word no longer fit inside his mouth. Nothing of his own fit him any longer. The wolf's claws scored the motorcycle's chrome. Dawn seized them. It was not a flood of light that drove the wolf out of him. The wolf wanted to tear the motorcycle apart as much as it wanted to flee from the sun. Clark let it. He surrendered the motorcycle to the wolf. 
It leaped out of him, across the baby-pale rays of dawn, into the chrome and metal and rubber of the sports scout. The motorcycle growled. Clark pushed himself away. He stared and listened in the morning silence for... What? There was a resonance in his chest and the hairs on his neck, like a low metallic cord. It made him itch. Whining, groaning, growling from the motorcycle. It wasn't a sound that Clark could hear in his ears. It was like feeling his joints creak. The wolf was a small thing now, a detail. Clark reached out to the motorcycle, and the wolf went silent, waiting. Clark jerked his hand away. The wolf was a small thing now, but not harmless. He scrubbed his beard with his fingertips. He'd been sweating all night long, and he stank. But even his stink was a pleasure, because it was a man's stink. There was no beast smell in the sweat. It was all man. It was, thank you God, human. Clark turned to go inside, but he felt between his shoulder blades and in the ends of the hairs on his neck, the resonance trembling. The only thing in his refrigerator was a pack of soda. Clark counted out the cash he had left over. There was enough to buy groceries and gas. He could go into town, have some breakfast at a diner. He could meander through the aisles in the grocery store if he wanted. He could pick up a paper and look for a job. Find work as a mechanic. Go to church again. Take the sacrament without having the wolf nibbling the bread inside his guts. Without it lapping the water that dribbled down his throat. Because the world was new. He was new, and the wolf was not a part of him any longer. The itching along his spine and fingertips resisted the idea. He'd have to get rid of the motorcycle if he ever wanted to be cured of the wolf. It would be no good just picking up and driving away from the sports scout. That would leave temptation laying around. Too easy to come back. If he destroyed it somehow... Would the wolf be destroyed as well? Better to keep the motorcycle and the wolf together. He knew that it was trapped there, at least. But he, he was free. Free to breathe air the wolf would never breathe. Free to walk and work without its teeth around his heart. Free to do what he wished. Clark blinked and pulled his hand away from the window, where he'd been tracing the motorcycle's outline on the pane. The window faced the detached garage where the sports scout leaned on its kickstand, where it crouched. Clark wiped the window with his sleeve. Free, he said out loud, loud enough for his voice to ring in the air. Let the resonance carry that back to the wolf. Let the wolf eat that. But when evening came, Clark found himself out on the back porch, watching the sports scout. The longer he watched it, the deeper the resonance worked into him, like a massage of warmth in the middle of his chest. And he was moving forward now, reaching for the motorcycle. The resonance purred at him, a vibration of pleasure, an invitation. Touch me and live, it spoke. Stroke me 
and I will serve you and keep you and hold you forever. Clark caught his breath. He was close enough to feel the warmth that the metal had absorbed through the day. He took his fingers from the motorcycle. He made his body turn around and walk away. Midway to the door to his house, he turned again. If he stayed here right now, the singing resonance would pick his will to shreds. In the desert, he could clear his head, get the smell of sage and sand in his nostrils, some grit in his mouth. The resonance seemed to thin and stretch as he walked along the country road, running away from town. The moon was bright, filling the air with silver and blue. It would have been pleasant except for the itch against his skin. The further he walked, the thinner the road became, like the resonance. Still here, still a little trail, glimmering whitely under the moon's glow. It had to end. Somewhere, oh God, it has to end, didn't it? The trail climbed upward, and Clark followed. Maybe it led to the moon, ridiculous thought. But on a night like this, where the trail and the resonance were one, ridiculousness was acceptable. More acceptable, anyway, than going home and embracing the sports scout. More acceptable than kissing the wolf, swallowing its tongue, letting it gorge itself on his heart. Clark grunted, wiped his face. He was exhausted, a night and a day without sleep, and here he was, tramping about the desert. And when dawn came, what then? He'd be caught out here, no water, miles from anywhere, and maybe this was what God wanted. This was as free of the wolf as he had ever been in the past ten years. The trail led him to the top of the cliffs surrounding his home. Clark turned and looked over the whole world below him. He stretched out his arms, feeling the sweat on his back and sides tickle slowly to the waist of his trousers. The resonance was a gossamer steel strand, as light as a bead of sweat, as solid as the cliff. You may stretch me, the wolf seemed to growl over the resonance. You may stretch me, you man. But I am thin already. I am lean. I will not break. I am metal and chrome now, and I will not break. I will haunt you. I will hunt you. And I will have your heart in my teeth, on my tongue. Clark gulped the air, sucked in moonlight, and maybe that would kill the beast cut into it with ragged silver breaths. But it continued to itch along his spine, and when he had been still enough to stop wheezing, Clark turned from the edge of the cliff. Someone was sitting there on the trail in front of him. His breath caught in his throat. It startled him so much. A girl, sitting there, facing him. Her forearms were bare, and something dark pooled down around her fingers where they met the trail. Clark swallowed the urge to lick his lips. Blood, the wolf whispered, and sweet, sweet. Leave me alone, she said. Clark shook himself. You're bleeding. He took off his shirt, tearing it into strips. Don't breathe now. Don't taste the air, the blood. Do not. Do not. 
I'll cut you, she said shrilly. Her hands scrambled around on the desert floor and came up holding a straight razor. Go away. Clark felt the resonance heavier now and growing more intense the closer he got to the girl. She took a swipe at him, but he caught her elbow and shook the razor out of her grip. Her skin was cool and damp. She was weak. How long had she been bleeding out here? Leave me alone, she wailed. Leave me alone. Clark wrestled her to the ground, straddled her chest, and pinned her arms to the ground with his knees. His hands slipped against the cuts she'd opened up in her wrists, the slick, soft edges of flesh. The wolf urged him on, panting in his brain, pushing through the resonance. Clark pushed back. No one's dying tonight. And he realized he'd said it out loud because she wailed and cursed at him some more. Stop it, Clark growled and shook her. She did. Her eyes rolled back in her head and she slumped. Clark held her body for a moment, feeling her weight. God, let her live. He bandaged the girl's wrists with his shirt and tried to wake her. She moaned, but her eyes didn't open, not even when he slapped her cheeks. He picked her up and started down the cliff, back to his cabin. How much blood had she lost? Too much. Any at all was too much. He could smell it in his nose, taste it in the back of his throat. But the wolf was quiet. It left him alone with the weight of the girl over his shoulders and the touch of the moon on his face. Maybe. Maybe coming up here to get away from the wolf and finding and helping this girl. Maybe God had removed it. Maybe the wolf was dead now, killed by God because Clark had resisted it. Clark made his way down the trail, back to his cabin, as fast as he could go. The girl's breath tickled his ear. He did not remember calling the ambulance, and yet here it was, and he jerked himself awake. Clark was leaning against the front door. The resonance itched against him. Numbly, he pointed the EMTs toward the girl on the couch. They pushed him aside and left the door open. The sports scout gleamed at him in the moonlight. Someone was asking him questions. Clark rubbed his eyes, refocused. I found her on the cliff. She was bleeding. The EMTs pushed by, wheeling the girl out on a stretcher. She was pale. Clark watched them, watched her. She was a thin little thing. How old? Fourteen? Fifteen? Curly brown hair bounced against her cheeks when the EMTs lifted the stretcher down the porch. Her hand seemed to linger. Fingers stretched out toward the sports scout. He blinked and felt the wolf tremble. Mr. Trost, said someone asking him questions. Can you show us where you found her? Clark watched the ambulance pull off. Sure, he said finally. Yeah, sure. The other fellow was thick-jowled with watery blue eyes. Clark could smell something odd on his breath. Marijuana, he thought. He was wearing a rumpled police officer's uniform. Above his badge was a name. A. Tomlinson. A. Tomlinson said, Lead the way. Clark said, 
I need a soda to keep me awake. You? Got some coffee on my way over. Half a thermos left if you want some. Clark licked his lips. No, no thanks. I'm Mormon. No coffee. But he could smell the girl's blood in his nose still. And how hypocritical was he to refuse coffee but to dream about licking that girl's slashed-up wrists? Suit yourself. A. Tomlinson chatted the whole way up the cliffs. That, more than the soda, kept Clark's eyes open. What's the A for? Clark asked. Abraham, he grinned, and the moon flashed on his teeth. Call me Tuck. Not Abe? Not a chance. He looked around at the desert. They were at the foot of the cliffs. What were you doing way out here? Just walking. In the middle of the night? It's too hot to go walking in the daytime. Tuck laughed. <laughs> I'll bet. So you carried her from here all the way back to your house? Yes. You're stronger than you look, then. Clark shrugged. There was a teasing discomfort in his belly. Clark didn't have anything to hide. Nothing except a murderous beast locked up in a vintage motorcycle. Nothing except a desire to taste that girl's blood. Nothing. 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 Clark showed him where he'd found the girl. Tuck walked around the blood stain in the dirt a couple times, then began poking around in the brush. He came up with a straight razor and deposited it into a plastic baggie. All right, so you found her up here. What happened then? Clark told him. It seemed like ages ago. He was so tired he barely recognized the sound of his own voice. Why are your hands covered in blood? The question hammered at him. His heart pulsed, terrified. But he remembered. He hadn't done anything. Nothing at all but saved the girl's life. Dreamed of devouring her, but done nothing. When I wrestled the razor from her, I got blood all over me. You didn't try to wash it off? No, I got home and called 911, and I guess I fell asleep waiting for the ambulance. Dying girl on my couch, and I fall asleep. Clark added, I've been awake for two days straight. Tuck put the razor in his pocket and hooked his thumbs into his belt loops. You took a walk out into the middle of the desert instead of getting some rest? I didn't know I would find a suicide out here. He should say something else, something sensible like, walking in the desert helps me calm down, or walking helps me get ready for sleep. But Clark didn't say anything at all. Tuck grunted. Why were you awake so long? I've been rebuilding a motorcycle, a 1942 Indian sports scout. I couldn't leave it alone, I guess. Motorcycles are an obsession. You walked away from the motorcycle in the middle of the night and came out here and just happened to find this girl bleeding to death? Clark gritted his teeth against the skepticism in Tuck's voice. Yes. Tuck unlatched a flashlight from his belt and began swinging it along the ground. Does your, what was it, sports scout? Does it run? Clark knew it would. Without gas, without a battery, without anything but the wolf trapped within it. It could run. It could hunt. It could chase. It just needed someone to surrender to it. You, 
You, you, the residents whispered. I need you. But it was very faint. I didn't have any gas for it. I haven't even tried to start it yet. They walked back to Clark's cabin with the moon pouring down on them. The scuff of their feet on the sand and rocks was the only sound. No talking. Clark didn't mind. Tuck didn't seem like he wanted to talk. Clark glanced at him every once in a while. Tuck was a big man, with hips as wide as his shoulders, but like a stone slab, like one of those obelisks at Stonehenge. When they got back, Tuck walked over to the motorcycle. He flipped on his flashlight to look at the tires. And then, he just stared at it, and Clark felt a wolf whispering something. But not to him. Beautiful, Tuck said. You are so beautiful. Have mercy on me. Clark pushed himself forward and caught Tuck's elbow as he moved his hand toward the motorcycle. Uh, please don't touch it. It's vintage, and I just... He felt the resonance slickly on his back, like a long tongue. Don't touch it. Tuck stood up. He was taller than Clark by a good four inches. Get your hands off me, Mr. Trost. Clark let him go and stood still. Tuck said, You need to get some sleep. Someone may drop by to ask you some more questions. Clark wasn't going anywhere. Not to town. Not to church. He rubbed his eyes with the heel of his palm and nodded. If you think of anything you forgot to tell me, please give me a call. Tuck handed him a business card. He looked once more at the motorcycle. Clark saw his fingers tremble. Then he was in his car and driving away, leaving Clark alone in the dark and stillness. Clark went inside. The smell of the girl's blood was thick in his cabin, as fresh as if it had spilled on his lips and down his throat. There were bloody fingertips on the phone's handset. Her blood from his hands, left there when he'd called the ambulance. Her blood was on his clothes, everywhere. Taste her. The urge was so strong it made him sway, but he found the sink and scrubbed his hands clean. He stripped, filled the sink with detergent, and jammed his clothes into it. When the suds were up to his elbows, he dunked his head in his well, and opened his mouth to suck in the taste of soap. God help me, be merciful to me, drive it away, away, out of the deep, oh God, out of the deep. When he came up, spitting, the resident still picked at him. There was blood on the telephone. He pulled his soapy shirt out of the sink and started for it. Lick it clean. Clark reached for the handset. No. Not with his bare hands. He picked the phone up using the end of the shirt and scrubbed it viciously. The number pad, too, until the buttons were rimmed in bubbles. Clark stared at the cloth in his hands, longing to sniff it, longing to bite it, suck on it, just for a little taste of her. He threw the shirt toward the sink. Merciful God, it splashed into the water and disappeared into the suds. Clark didn't make it to his bedroom. He slumped to the couch, naked, covering himself with a blanket, and slept. 
but even sleeping, he felt the wolf crawling over him. He shivered and whined and kicked his legs. Clark sat on his back porch, watching the sports scout. The clock on the eaves read 10 a.m. He'd been sitting here just after 8. The resonance was nothing but a whisper on the hairs of his neck. All night he dreamed of blood and howling, but when he'd picked himself off the couch, the motorcycle lay still and quiet in the morning light. Maybe God had finally answered his prayers. Maybe cleaning that girl's blood out of his home... Maybe that was the last test. No. It was a hopeful, deceitful line of thought. The wolf was with him still. Weakened, no. Distracted. Clark remembered the way the girl had reached for the sports scout. How Tuck had swooned over it. Now, the wolf hunted them. Jealous? The resonance wheezed at him. Jealous, Clark confirmed surprised and ashamed. He had to get rid of the sports scout now, today, before the wolf could work into those other two. His mind whirled. Taking it apart was out of the question, and he couldn't count on anyone else to destroy it, not after the way Tuck had acted. Drag it into the middle of the desert, bury it deep in the dust, far away from Tuck and the girl. It could still call them through the resonance, but maybe... If he moved quickly, the resonance wouldn't be strong enough to tempt them all the way out into the middle of nowhere. Clark stood, dusted off his pants. Do it, he told himself. Be rid of it now, once and for all. He scratched his neck furiously, where the resonance whispered and tickled. Clark looped a length of rope over the sports scout's handlebars. He tied the other end to the bumper of his pickup. Already, the sun was blistering hot, and he was sweating just standing out in it. He filled a cooler with water and put it in the back of the truck along with the shovel and work gloves. Clark stood for a long moment at the door to the pickup, wondering what he could be forgetting. Into the truck. Clark forced his hands to turn the key, forced his foot against the accelerator. He didn't bother with his driveway. There were no fences out here to mark property lines, and no neighbors to see him forsake the road for the bare desert. How would it look, anyway? A vintage motorcycle scraping along on its side behind his truck. Best to stay away from the roads and people completely. An hour into the desert, rattling over rocks and brush, the resonance focused back on him. For a moment, Clark felt as if he were standing underneath the full moon, and his hands on the steering wheel were clawed and padded, and he couldn't think what he was doing in this man's thing. He barely avoided dumping the truck into a shallow washout. No more whispering. No more tickling. The wolf tore at him. Clark gritted his teeth and pressed the accelerator down gently. The truck lurched forward. He looked in the rearview mirror to check on the sports scout. Instead of the motorcycle at the end of the rope, a hulk of an animal loped along behind. Clark could see its red, red tongue lolling. Its fur was as colorless as ash. Swallow you, you man. Gorge me on you. Clark kept driving. The resonance scourged his back, 
gnawing his palms on the steering wheel and the sole of the foot that held the accelerator down. In the mirror, he watched the motorcycle bounce violently over the desert, tearing at the scrub brush and cacti as he pulled it along. Now the motorcycle, now the wolf, straining against the rope, biting at the knot around its neck, clawing the dust. He drove for another hour before the pain made his eyes roll up into his head. Far enough. It had to be. Clark stopped the truck, fumbled for the door, and pushed himself into the hot afternoon air. The motorcycle lay on its side, the rope holding it to the truck's bumper as taut as a piano wire. There were no details to distract him now. Nothing but the sun and sky and dust. And the agony. It deepened when he began to dig until he whimpered. Dig. That was all he needed to do. Nothing came over the resonance but agony. No temptation but the wolf's will to torture him into submission or kill him with pain. If he died, would the wolf die as well? Or would it live like a ghost in the sports scout until someone came along to touch the metal, suck in the wolf, and be devoured? Dig the pit and then the wolf could howl at God out of it. The hole was done before nightfall. Clark's mouth burned. His tongue was as heavy and stiff as a rock, and his hands were cramped and torn with blisters. Clark struggled into his truck, fought the wheel in his own body to start it, and pulled the beast into the hole. The truck jerked backwards as the motorcycle dropped. Clark got out, and cut the rope with his pocket knife. Bury you, he muttered, driving the shovel into the pile of dirt next to the pit. Pebbles clattered off the chrome when he dumped it into the hole. Touch me, the wolf whispered. Agony and desire scraped Clark's skin. He tossed another shovelful into the hole. Touch me. The moon rose. Every now and then, moonlight fell on fur and Clark glimpsed the two red tongue down in the darkness. He could still go in there, tie the ends of the ropes together, haul the sports scout up. The wolf would give him strength, pull it up like Jesus bringing Lazarus out of the tomb. Out of the deep, Clark whispered. The shovel scratched in the pile of dirt. It wasn't Lazarus's grave he was filling, but Herod's. The baby killer. The filicide. Hadn't he heard it slavering for the girl's blood? Hadn't he seen how it sniffed after her? Clark worked blindly, pushing dirt into the hole, until he realized that the point of the shovel was striking unbroken ground. The pit was filled. He was done. But the resonance still aided him, as bitter as ever. Clark was exhausted, but... He couldn't sleep here tonight, not near the motorcycle's grave. Raise me, man. Touch me. His hands cramped around the shovel handle like they'd been nailed there. He smashed the shovel against the boulder until the handle snapped and his fingers released it. There'd be no digging the wolf out now. Not tonight. Not ever. Clark started the truck and drove away.
the truck ran out of gas. Clark shuffled out of the cab and began walking. Everything ached. He didn't know where he was. The resonance itched against his palms and feet, a whisper of a thorn. He walked forever. And then, someone shined a flashlight in his face and came forward. Big hands and a body like an obelisk. Tuck. And other men, too. Policemen and men with the words search and rescue printed on their jackets. Tuck pushed a water bottle toward him. I went to your place to give you the good news. He paused and scratched his hands, kept scratching them. Clark could see in the glare from someone's flashlight that they were raw and blood-specked. I found your tire tracks heading out into the desert. When you didn't come back, I got a little worried. Clark sipped the water, felt the wolf whisper, just for him this time, only for him. He tried not to let the despondency show in his voice. Thank you. What's this about good news? Hmm? Tuck was looking off into the desert. Oh, good news. The girl you saved will be fine. Well, not fine, I guess. She'll live. She confirmed your story. Oh. Soft cheek. Curly hair as brown as honey. Clark rubbed his eyes. She'd be safe from the wolf now. Girl safe. Tuck safe. He sank into Tuck's car, weary beyond thinking, but couldn't close his eyes. Where's your truck, anyway? Tuck asked. Ran out of gas. And you thought you'd hoof it back to your place? Clark nodded and said, Thanks for finding me out there. Tuck shrugged. I had this feeling. You a religious man? Haven't been to church in ten years. Cry to God daily. Yes, Clark said. This feeling I got, it was just like the scriptures say, kind of a tickle in my skin, a little bitty voice. Get thou into the desert, Abraham. Tuck laughed at himself. Not that it really said anything, just kept at me till I decided to follow your tracks. The oddest thing. A resonance, Clark said, and closed his eyes. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Do you feel it now? Tuck glanced at him. No, no need to, right? You're found. You're safe. Not safe. Never safe, not him. Tuck hummed, tapped his fingers and asked, Are you dragging something behind your truck? I found scrape marks between your tire tracks. Clark sipped his water. Tuck licked his lips. Where's your motorcycle? I got rid of it. Tuck was quiet after that, all the way back to the cabin. Once or twice he opened his mouth, then shut it again with a click of teeth. Nothing left to talk about now, Clark thought. Nothing to bind us together. Tuck left him alone at his cabin. Clark watched the police car wheel off into the darkness. Inside it was as quiet as the desert. He wandered from room to room, not hearing his footsteps, not feeling anything beyond himself. The resonance had sucked all feeling out of him, left him pitted, empty and dry as a hole in a rock. That was him. There was nothing to fill himself with here. Little by little, 
he'd cut out everything of his life in an effort to starve the wolf. And now that it was buried deep in the dust, what was left for the man? There was soda in the refrigerator. Clark took out a bottle, ran his hands over the cool plastic, held it until it beaded up with condensation, opened it at last and sniffed. Nothing. Drank and felt only the sensation of liquid in his throat. No cold. No taste. Clark put the cap back on and put the bottle in the fridge. As he crossed in front of the window, movement caught his eye. Man. A lanky, wasted animal waited on its haunches in the yard. Clark went to the door of the cabin, paused, opened the door at last, and stepped out onto the porch. The animal didn't move. Its tongue lolled. I am dying. You, too. Clark scratched his beard, rubbed his face like rubbing a sponge, soft, numb. Kiss me. Save me. Out of the deep, oh God. The wolf wasn't whining for God. It was whining for him. Clark shuffled down to the driveway. The wolf blinked at him as he walked past it. Man? God? Dawn again. The sky beyond the mountains was pink and white. A vast ache snapped against Clark's heart, and he fell to his knees. But the pain brought scent to him, the smell of sage and dust from the mountains, in secret shadows, high up in their reaches, the sharp cleanness of glacial ice. Please, oh God, oh man, the wolf whined. Its breath touched Clark's ears, but he couldn't smell it. The resonance tickled and licked at him, but the wolf didn't touch him. Clark's heart trembled and thumped and seized. He threw back his head and cried and grabbed a handful of ground and felt the scant drops of dew in the scraggly desert grass like cool ointment on his blistered hands. The resonance broke. Clark watched the animal twist away into the thinning dawn, a scattering of ash and dust pursed by the wind. His heart wrenched again, filling him with pain and the smell of juniper. Clark cried and laughed and exhaled. His breath surged from his lungs, away from the mountain shadows, and followed the smell of daybreak, skyward. Welcome back, listeners. As was said, the probably not coined in The Big Lebowski, sometimes you eat the bear, and sometimes the bear eats you. I hope you enjoyed the story, and thank you for coming along with us. Now, it's time for the feedback, if I can remember how to do this part. Feedback is for episode 298, Ken Liu's The Shadow Crafter, read by Aki Gibbons. Comments on this story were somewhat sparse. 
The setting was more or less universally enjoyed, with several listeners pleased that their knowledge of Okinawan culture was expanded by the story's setting. The love story aspect was also acclaimed by some, though the political aspect was less well-received. Kibitzer, who liked everything about it, wrote, It had a poetic quality that I find deeply attractive. I remind you that we remained closed to submissions. Thank you to all those donors who make these stories possible. In particular, those of you who stepped up in our recent call for donations, we are still here because of you. If you have never donated, please think about doing so. Share your favorite stories of ours as far and wide as you can. On behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, Peter Wood, Dave Thompson, LaShawn Wanak, Graham Dunlop, and myself, Anna Schwind, thank you for joining us. And we hope to share a story with you again next week. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. The title of today's story is a reference to Psalm 130. I leave you with some additional verses of that psalm. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say, more than they that watch for the morning.